This is Guns and Butter. Delgado. This is Larry Mason, agency station chief here in Dubai. My boss told me to call and brief you on Bin Laden's arrival. He's in Dubai? Uh, no, not till tomorrow. He's actually not doing so well. His kidneys are really failing. We have to keep that son of a bitch alive. Yeah, well, we're, uh, we're bringing in Dr. Calhoun to the American hospital. So in, he's actually treated him a couple times before. Um, he's actually really good. Okay. Uh... You need any equipment, um, supplies, anything? No, the American Hospital here is actually a world-class facility, and uh, it's got all the latest updates on the uh, kidney dialysis machines. So he's also uh, bringing in Al Zawahari. Um, Al Zawahari's a doctor, right? Yeah, he's he's from Egypt. Good. Uh, make sure he's trained on using a mobile dialysis machine. Yeah. Well, he's also got a, a nurse from Algeria. Good. Train her too. Him. We have to keep that son of a bitch alive for at least another five months. I'll keep monitoring his progress and uh, I will keep you informed. All right. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Art Olivier. Today's show, Operation Terror. Art Olivier is a filmmaker and former politician. He worked for 20 years as an engineer in the aerospace industry in Southern California for both McDonnell Douglas and Boeing. After leaving the Boeing company in 2000, Art hosted and produced The Political Money Trail, a local cable television show. The show helped him get elected to the Bellflower California City Council in 1994. He did not run for re-election in 1999 after becoming the mayor of Bellflower in 1998. Instead, he sought and received the nomination for vice president in the Libertarian Party in 2000 and ran against Dick Cheney in the general election. Art was also Arnold Schwarzenegger's libertarian opponent for governor in 2006. Olivier was able to combine his experience in both the aerospace industry and the political realm to create this fact-based, political thriller, Operation Terror. Art Olivier, welcome. Well, thank you, Bonnie. Well, as the writer and producer of Operation Terror, how did you come to write the script and produce the film? Well, I was looking at the facts around 9-11, and um, what was really interesting about the, the story of 9-11 that most people don't know about is the victims that were on those flights. Now, each one of the four flights had about approximately 25, 30% full. And the people that were on those flights, many of them had defense-related jobs. Uh, there, were, there were four guys from Raytheon. There were people from uh, Teledyne. Um, there were the five auditors from PricewaterhouseCoopers, whose audits Raytheon. Uh, there were people from Boeing. Uh, the defense management, uh, and it just goes on and on with all these high, highly technical people that were on these planes, which you know was very interesting. So I kind of developed my story around um, those victims on what they could have been developing uh, prior to 9/11, and then and what happened to them uh, afterwards. 
Now, you're referring to uh, all four commercial flights, uh, numbers 11, 175, 77, and 93, on September 11th. And you've talked about who most of these people were. Now, how did you discover uh, the occupations of the passengers on these four flights? Now, these people were the Department of Defense contractors, people from the aerospace industry, right? Yeah, most of them were in the uh, aerospace industry. Approximately how many passengers were actually on the four airplanes that figured in the 9-11 scenario? The planes were not near capacity, were they? No, not anywhere near. Uh, there was a couple of hundred passengers on uh, all four flights total. So what would that make it? About the planes were maybe a quarter full? Yeah, from a quarter to a third full, typically. Now, are real people portrayed in the film? Yes, they are. Uh, we changed the names of the victims. Um, some of the perpetrators, we kept, we kept their names, such as uh, Vice President Dick Cheney. Um, and then we also kept the names, of, of course, of uh, Norman Manetta. Norman Manetta, he wrote the entire part of the movie, basically, um, where we were in the bunker underground of... Um, a White House. It's the Emergency Operations Center for the White House. So he was there the entire time when, when the um, the plane was coming towards the Pentagon, and also there when the um, orders were given by Cheney to shoot down the plane over Pennsylvania. You know, I was I was quite amazed at the actor you found to portray uh, Norm Minetta. He looks exactly like him. Yeah, I got really lucky on that because. When, when we do put out a casting call for a part, I typically get, uh, you know, 100, sometimes 300 people that apply for that one part. But when I put out the one for Normanetta, there were very few Asian American actors that I could get. <laughs> and we only, uh, we only um, casted two of them. And one was really bad, and this guy was really good. So, yeah, we really got lucky on that, on that part. Yes, I agree. He was really good. And just to clarify, when you mentioned that uh, you kept some of the real names of uh, the politicians, etc., but changed the names of the victims, you were referring to the passengers on the planes, right? Their names were changed. Yeah, that, that is correct. Why did you write Operation Terror as a drama, a thriller? What was your motivation to present the material in this format? Well, as you know, most people... Um, there, I mean, there are people that can do research like I do. <laughs> um, there are even more people that will sit down and watch a documentary, but still the majority of people won't do either one. But they will sit down and watch an entertaining movie. So this way, people that um, know about the facts surrounding 9-11 can buy the DVD. They can sit down with their friends and family, watch the movie, and then after the movie say, you know, that really happened. Oh, what, what is that? You know, yeah, that's this able danger and the, the radar on Orion, all that really happened. No way. I would have heard about it. No, I'm serious. And, and so so it gets people introduced to a lot of the facts around 9-11. And uh, those people simply will not watch a documentary because um, to them, that's just, just too boring. And typically a lot of people, you know, they feel they already know about 9-11. But uh, after watching 90 minutes of Operation Terror, they're going to know a lot more. I see. So you felt that you could reach a lot more uh, people with with a drama. Yes, yeah, because that's what we really really needs to be done. 
Um, uh, typically, the 9-11 truth movement doesn't really reach anybody outside of the movement um, because uh, the general public just really is not interested in it. But with a drama, um, you know, they can, they can sit down and, and learn a, a whole lot of uh, important information. Well, let's take a listen to a clip from uh, the very beginning of the movie, the setup of the operation. The climax of this operation will be the destruction of these two mammoth eyesores. Jumbo jets flying at 500 miles an hour will hit those buildings and bring them down. Commercial airlines won't go that fast at the sea level. It doesn't matter how fast those planes fly into the buildings. Those buildings are made to withstand the hit of a jetliner and suffer minimal damage. Twin Towers has massive steel columns. Planes are made out of lightweight aluminum. Here's your plane hitting the building. Obviously, the planes are going to need a little bit of assistance. Every engineer in the world's going to know it's fake. Engineers don't control the media. But they're all over the internet. And that internet thing could really take off. Well, let's ask the shrink. Alfred, does it matter if some nerds mouth off? Not if the media makes it clear that the terrorists are responsible. That is what the people will know. Subsequent information will cause a conflict, and the people will resist. And that Nazi that Michael was quoting was correct when he said that anyone who challenges the government's story, you can denounce for lack of patriotism. Um, how are we gonna get somebody to fly a plane into a building? Hey, why don't we strap Charlie's sorry ass into the cockpit and let him do it? There's not going to be anyone on the planes. Singer. I'm gonna set you and Jordan up with a precision-guided expert and a demolitions professional. We are going to make the destruction of the Twin Towers by terrorists look as genuine as possible. We're also going to need to start looking for some towel-headed assets for Goldberg's pretext and set up the patsies. Mr. Donovan, I want you to take the lead on this. But if we're using remotes, there are going to be other planes full of people we'll have to deal with. Then deal with it. And Art, what was your uh, what was your thinking when you wrote this sequence of the film, the the setup of the op? Now, this uh, scene took place in Building Seven, correct? That's correct. Yeah, in Building Seven on the twenty fifth floor, that's where the CIA was headquarters there before nine eleven. So that's that's where the scene is is uh, located. Now, is that true? Yes, yeah, the CIA was yeah, in the 25th floor of Building 7 before 9-11, yes. I see. So that's why you set that, uh, that scene right in the specific uh, office and floor in Building 7 where CIA had their headquarters in real life. Right, yeah. And then also when, um, when, when Michael Goldberg says that the climax of this operation will be the destruction of these two mammoth eyesores, well, he can actually look out the window and see the Twin Towers standing right there. So that also helps helps the uh, the scene there. Well, now, uh, an interesting point about this is that in your film, Operation Terror, 
the scenario for the entire operation was actually written by a Hollywood scriptwriter, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, Michael Goldberg is a Hollywood scriptwriter, and because that's when you, when you really look into a lot of the events around 9/11, you, you find out it is a, a big media event, and uh, so they have a lot of different operations going on all over, over the country, and. And it's mainly an, an operation to get people to believe that it was Muslim terrorists that uh, destroyed those buildings. Now, in this in this initial scene in Building Seven, where the CIA is meeting to set up to set up the operation, and you mentioned they look out the window and they see the twin towers. How did you do that? Well, I have heard you say in the past that you couldn't use any actual footage from September 11th because it was too expensive. Yeah, it was very expensive. So what we did is um, in the conference room that we were in, which is a really nice conference room, we, we put green screens over top of the, the windows that were there um, because obviously we were not in the real Building 7. And out one window, you see a lot of uh, Manhattan and the Hudson River, and in the other window, you see the Twin Towers. So we just took pictures of, of those um, of the Twin Towers and of Manhattan and use those for the backgrounds. I'm speaking with filmmaker and politician Art Olivier. Today's show, Operation Terror. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Yes, I was intrigued by a lot of the locales that you used in the film. I wanted to uh, ask you about uh, one of them. I was interested in locations used in the filming of Operation Terror particularly the scene in the desert outside of Kabul, where the ops meet with Osama bin Laden. It was a beautiful desert scene, and I was intrigued to learn in the credits that that scene was filmed in the Anza Borrego Desert, which I have visited many times. How did you choose locations? Well, I'm a uh, dirt bike rider in Southern California, so I've been all over Southern California in the desert, and I know that Anza Borrego was a beautiful area, I wanted to get an area that um, didn't have a lot of roads in the background or trails or, or anything like that um, to just show that I was in Southern California. And uh, Anza Borrego looked a lot like um, looked a lot like at the Afghan desert. The production value was really high, especially when we first start that scene and we have the um, the CIA agents that are in there. Toyota Corolla, which 90% of the cars in Afghanistan are Toyota Corollas. <laughs> That's why I chose that. And, uh, and in the background, we have the mountains in the sky, and that was just a really beautiful shot. Uh, yes, yes, it really was. Let's listen to another clip uh, a little further along in the film, the clip of the Patsy search, the so-called hijackers. How's our Patsy search coming along? I think we've got some good ones. 
I got a guy, Muhammad Atta, out of the International Officer School in Maxwell. He can be the leader of the hijackers. We got Abdul Aziz Alamari from the Brooks Air Force Base Aerospace Medical School. Four guys out of Pensacola, Florida at the Naval Air Station. Ahmed Al-Nami, Hamza Al-Gamdi, Ahmed Al-Gamdi, and Saeed Al-Gamdi. I've also got Hanai Hanjour, who's taking private flying lessons. Keep all these guys on a very short leash. After they're done with their training, put them all in civilian flight schools. I don't want them in any way connected to the military. You got it. I've also got Zacharias Massau. He's got a master's in international business from London. Yeah. I met him in Kosovo. He's actually from France. Well, he can get to around. Yep. He'll make a believable terrorist. He's been in the middle of all sorts of ish. Wrap a towel around his head, it'll look like any other terrorist. By the way, I finally got the green light on using Osama bin Laden as our mastermind. Isn't that just a little bit obvious, using a former business partner of the Bushes to be the leader of the terrorists? Goldberg says he can sell it. He also thinks it's important to have a bunch of terrorist attacks to make people afraid of Osama. He's going to be a busy boy. I'm going to have you and Getz meet with him next week. Give him some explosives and cash. In Dubai? No. He's in Afghanistan implementing Sharia law, and you can't be seen with him. Just give him some coordinates outside of Kabul and have him meet you there. A lot of these guys actually were trained on U.S. military bases, right? Correct. I was quite intrigued by the sequence in the film about the modification of the planes. This is somewhat complicated. Could you explain this sequence in the film and talk about your own background in the aerospace industry? Okay, well, the story in Operation Terror is that the planes that uh, actually ran into the buildings were nothing but uh, drones. They were C-40s, which is a, something like a, it's exactly like a 737. And these were uh, remotely operated. Um, I was a, an engineer at McDonnell Douglas and Boeing. So I kind of understand how the aerospace industry works. Um, one, of, one of the interesting things that, uh, that I did when I was at McDonnell Douglas, when I first started, I was in Liasson Engineering. And there we, um, I was actually working with the airplanes doing engineering change orders. And one night, we were moving the DC-10 around the facility, and they would pick it up on a crane, and they would move the section to, to the next location to do more assembly. Well, some lady that uh, was a little bit short, she, she had a hard time crawling in, into the nose cone of the DC-10, so she, she would use a little, um, about a two- or three-foot wooden ladder that she put on top of the platform. Well, when they set the DC-10 down, near the platform, that wooden ladder ended up going right through the nose cone of a DC-10, because they're just made out of fiberglass. <laughs> so when, we, uh, uh, when they talk about the plane going through the Pentagon, where it went through six reinforced concrete walls at the Pentagon, well, obviously that's not possible, because a, you know, a, a fuselage with a, with a fiberglass nose cone would just be destroyed, of course, before it ever went through the first uh, wall. And um, it couldn't continue on six reinforced concrete walls. Exactly. And could you explain um, the modifications, the additional modifications of the planes? That got a little technical in the, in the movie, but it was, it was easy enough to follow if, if you knew a little bit about um, 
the events of those days? Well, we didn't actually modify Flight 1193-77-175. Uh, um, those were just regular airplanes. It was just the, the C-40s that had the um, remote capabilities on them. Um, so what would happen is when the planes, the planes would meet at a certain point and then they would switch the um, they would switch the flight data information from one plane to another. Uh, so people would think that the flight 77 was actually, um, you know, the, the remote plane, the C-40 was actually flight 77 going into the World Trade Center. Uh, but what we, what we did find out though later on is, uh, for example, flight 175 that ran into one of the World Trade Center buildings, it was picked up 20 minutes after it supposedly ran into the, the Twin Towers flying over um, Pennsylvania. And it was picked up by what's called ACARS, and it, it sends a signal to the uh, to the airplane, and the airplane sends a signal back. So, so the airplane was still flying uh, 20 minutes supposedly after it crashed into the World Trade Center. Oh, I see. So that's been verified. Yes. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying then, of course, is that in the film... Uh, the commercial airlines were not being modified. They were simply being um, supplanted by predator drone type of aircraft, correct? Right, yeah. But, yeah, it really wasn't, wasn't any kind of a weapon, but it was uh, just a C-40, which is a 737. So it, looked, it would look like a 767 or a 757, but um, it, would, uh, it would be empty, just an empty plane with uh, avionics on it. One of the interesting things is that... Um, in the movie, we talk about the E-4B, which is the National Reconnaissance Airplane, and it's a modified 747, and uh, that's who was controlling the, the remotes in the movie. But that was actually spotted um, flying over uh, Rhode Island Sound uh, right as the uh, explosions were going off in New York, and then it was seen over near the Pentagon when the um, explosion happened at the Pentagon. So that's kind of an interesting thing. They actually got it on video. Um, CNN got it uh, flying over the uh, the White House um, when the um, explosions were going off in the Pentagon. Yes, and that's and and you show that in the film, right? Correct. Now I noticed in the film that a lot of the uh, engineers, the electrical engineers, the people who uh, were working on the drones, these were all civilian contractors. And they really didn't understand the final, they didn't understand the project that they were working on. They thought it was going to be used in one way. And, and so they, they were all part of this, but they didn't really know what the final target was, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. We have the one engineer that uh, becomes very suspicious on what the final target was going to be because it just didn't make sense to him. Um, he asked the CIA agent, uh, well, where would these planes be used? And he says, well, I don't know. They'll use them over um, in Tehran or Baghdad. He's like, well, you can't, you can't hide a P-4B in those places. He goes, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll fly it over the Mediterranean and we'll hit Tripoli. So, <laughs> um, so he becomes very suspicious. And, and of course, he, um, uh, it doesn't do him any good because the, the, um, the plan is already in place. Well, let's listen to another clip from the film. Hey, Walt, 
Hey, George. What's up? So what do you think of this project? Other than it's another government boondoggle? No. No. It's more than just that. It doesn't make any sense. Putting an integrated sensor on a plane to make it look like a commercial jet? Come on, this whole thing stinks. When has the government ever done something that makes sense? You're thinking too hard, George. Maybe, maybe. But they have to be in constant communication with the Airborne Operations Center. I mean, come on, I'm going to ask you something. How do you hide a 747? Relax. You get to fly home tomorrow. Now, uh, the character that you're talking about, the engineer who becomes suspicious, that character is actually played by the director of the film, Paul Cross. What can you tell us about Paul Cross? What is his background, and what got him interested in the events of September 11th? Well, Paul, um, he's always been an actor and, and a producer and a director. He's always been in the business. He was in... Washington, D.C. on 9-11. He was there to do a documentary on the Bush White House. He was, he was a lifetime uh, Republican, and he really thought George Bush was the greatest guy. And, and uh, so he was doing this documentary. It's called Follow the Leader. And then, then the attacks happened. So him and his partner, they went out to the Pentagon to, to look and see what happened. And he was really surprised how close he could get. He could see um, the hole there at the Pentagon and the smoke and and, uh, and he's looking out and he tells his partner he goes there's something wrong here he goes there was no plane here look look at the a plane couldn't fit that and, and look at the lawn there's there's nothing there there's the lawn's in perfect shape there's no there's no airplane parts he goes if, if they're lying about this they're lying about everything and, and his whole world changed at that moment um, later on he did a movie it was called Severe Visibility. Uh, which I watched, and I thought it was really uh, brilliantly directed. So I uh, I contacted Paul and, and asked him to direct this movie. Now, uh, Paul Cross's movie, Severe Visibility, that's about the attack on the Pentagon, correct? Right. Yeah, that attack on the Pentagon. And he he is also an actor in that movie. Paul, Paul plays a um, Pentagon major that was in the Pentagon during the time of the attacks, and he is interrogated and find out if he saw the airplane because he was supposed to see the airplane from his building, but he never did um, because there was no airplane in it. And it's kind of a psychological drama where he just almost drives himself insane because he never did see the, the airplane that hit the building. So um, then he meets a reporter who has done a lot of uh, digging into the Pentagon, and the reporter tells me, you know, this, this is really... Uh, all the information that the government's giving is, is false, and and he doesn't want to believe it. But um, so that that's how that, that that movie goes about. I'm speaking with filmmaker and politician Art Olivier. Today's show, Operation Terror. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. You have said that many people did not believe the official narrative of September 11th because no identifiable airline parts were discovered. How is a plane normally identified after a crash? Well, every airplane um, has parts on it that have to be changed at certain intervals. You're only allowed to fly an airplane, let's say, for 10,000 hours with a certain part, and then it has to be replaced. So each one of those parts have 
time change serial numbers on them. And uh, that's the way you keep track of uh, to make sure that the airplane is not running old parts that um, cannot withstand you know, uh, decades of, of use. So at every single crash site, what the investigators do is they gather up all the time change parts that they can find. And that uh, will also show, well, is there any old parts on the plane? But it, it'll, it'll prove which plane actually cracked um, because you have all these time change parts. Now, there have only been four commercial airline crashes in, um, in modern history where they weren't able to, to gather up any time change parts. And all four of those planes were the ones that were on September 11th. They couldn't come up with a single part on any, any one of the four planes. I see, and that's never happened before. Not in, not in uh, modern history, no. The Able Danger sequence in the film is quite an eye-opener. Was Orion Scientific Systems uh, in your film a real company or invented for the film? What can you tell us about what you discovered about the real-life operation called Able Danger? What was it? Able Danger was a data mining operation that was conducted by the Army. Um, they hired a contractor, Orion Scientific Systems, and Orion would just use information that they could get off of the internet that was available freely. And um, they were able to put a chart together showing the connections between Muslim terrorists. They had Osama bin Laden on the chart, and then they had um, an area of the chart that was called the, the Brooklyn cell, and that included Muhammad Atta and some of the other 9-11 patsies. Now, once they, were, they came along with this, this program, all of a sudden it just got shut down. The guys that were working on it, um, Anthony Schaefer, a lieutenant colonel from the Army, he was working on it. He was told, uh, okay, we're, we're shutting down the program. And, uh, well, it's a lot of valuable information here. I don't care. We're shutting it down. And then the people at Orion, they got raided by some kind of federal agents. And they said to this day they don't know what agency they were from. All they know is that there was all these guys in, in uh, bulletproof vests and black uniforms with automatic weapons came storming into their office, and they took all of their computers, they took all their charts, uh, their plotter, they took just took everything that they could that dealt with able danger. Now, one of the guys that worked for Orion, he still had a chart in the trunk of his car, and that uh, was uh, produced later, but... Uh, um, after 9-11, but then it was uh, destroyed. Aaron, Aaron! The Army just identified the Brooklyn cell. Oh, what the fuck? Defense Intelligence Agency has been running a data mining op called Able Danger. They got a chart of Atta, Al-Shai, Al-Bandar, Al-Hazmi. This is huge. Who else knows about this? You get the DIA, you get the Land Information Warfare, the Orion Scientific System, their contractor. Ah, damn, we need to scan this thing and do a massive fucking cleanup. Ah, it's McCullough. Yes, sir. What are you doing about Able Danger? I just found out about it. That is not what I asked you. We have to eliminate everyone that knows about this. We can have a meeting for them in Rio, when they're over the Caribbean, we blow the... Aaron, you are not going to kill anyone. 
least of all our brave men and women in the armed forces. I will get the colonel replaced, uh, the one in charge of the program, and have it shut down. You need to get every shred of evidence from Orion. I'll send the team out there right away. I want you to personally take care of this. We need to be certain this information never gets out. You'll be in McLean first thing tomorrow morning. Yes, sir. Damn it. I gotta go to McLean tomorrow. Weapon. Yes. Put it on the counter. Have him lock the front doors and secure the rear exits. No one gets in or out. Where's the boss? Room 110, straight down the hall and to the right. Where's the boss? He's, he's over there. Seth Jones? Huh? Able danger is being shut down. Who are you? I am your worst nightmare if you don't give me everything you have on Able Danger. You have a warrant? I've got your meatball warrant right here. What's Able Danger? Don't play stupid with me, Jackoff. I never heard of Able Danger. Data mining you did for the Army. Mohammed Atta, Brooklyn Cell. Ring a bell? Charts are in my okay, office. Show me. Now. Go. Move. It's right there. Holy shit. Who all has seen this? Well, just a couple of my analysts. An assistant who ran it off only, he wouldn't know what he was looking at. That it? Well, of course, the Army personnel. Give me names. Dr. Pricer, Dr. Heyman, Dr. Heath, uh, Major Kleinsmith, and that uh, colonel with the Polish name, Orsaki, I think. That all? Well, they're the only ones I met with. I don't know who they showed it to. Where are the other charts? Copies we have are right here. Put these on the rack and take every computer and server in this place. You can't take all my computers. The hell I can't. And take the blotter in case it has something on its memory. If you or anyone mentions these charts, this program, or me, you are going to spend the rest of your life in federal prison for treason, capiche? No. Someone's got to pay for these computers and the data we're losing. Capiche? Capiche? Somebody's got to pay for this stuff. Take it up with the army. So Orion Scientific Systems was a civilian contractor to what, the Pentagon? Yes, to the Army. To the Army. So both both the Army and a civilian contractor were working on Able Danger. Right, yeah. Uh, the Army contracted with Orion. And Orion ended up going out of business uh, shortly after 9-11. Yes, I thought that was a very interesting sequence in your film. I didn't realize before seeing your film that the data mining was actually being done by a civilian uh, contractor. Yeah, and that, a lot of that information came from the, uh, the head of Orion. He testified in front of Congress, but none of that ended up in the 9-11 Commission report. They don't talk about able danger at all in, in that report. Uh, you know, living in Sonoma County, I appreciated the inclusion of a scene at the Bohemian Grove. Where did you film that? Uh, that was at a park that had some redwoods that was here in Southern California. 
it looked very uh, authentic. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to find uh, redwood groves and you know this far south, but uh, but we did find some there. Security and Exchange is getting ready to indict for the IPO stock kickbacks. Weaving spiders come not here. I'm really sorry, James, but it's not just us. Suisse, Goldman, Morgan Stanley, the SEC can wipe us out. Do you want me to call Harvey for you? No, no, no. I'm already working with Harvey, and he's throwing up every roadblock he can. I just don't know how long he can hold out. I'll take care of this. Tell Harvey that I said to combine all the IPO investigations into World Trade Center Building 7 and hold off on the indictments until the middle of September. Thank you, James. I really appreciate this. Um, see you this evening at the ceremonies? Delgado. I need you to take Seven down. Seven what, sir? Your building. Your team can move into Vanderbrook House in the first week of September. Uh, sir, Building 7 is not in the impact zone and I don't have any extra planes. How am I going to destroy it? I don't care. Just uh, don't damage any of the surrounding buildings. My brother-in-law owns the bank next door. All right. I'll have Michael write it into the story. No, I don't want this to be part of Michael's story. I'll tell the media to ignore it. A 47-story skyscraper destroyed by terrorists cannot be ignored. Aaron, I am growing tired of you doubting me. Sorry, sir. I didn't... Save it. Remember to make it clean. <laughs> I don't want to have an awkward Thanksgiving with the family. What I did is I tried to keep the movie interesting because a lot of the a lot of the dialogue was people talking on the phone from one person to another and and if you just had people talking from one office to another office that would get monotonous and, and boring so um, to spice things up I had um, this uh, Jason McCullough at the Bohemian Grove while he was talking on the phone with the uh, CIA agent that was ahead of the operation um, so it really really helps uh, keep things interesting. The inclusion of the speculative put options on American and United Airlines and the reinsurance companies in the days before September 11th was also included in the movie. There were more put options on United and American today. And they're going crazy on the financial companies that are in the towers and the big insurance companies. We need to plug the leak. It's Griswold. No way. He doesn't have that kind of money. That's the problem. He's getting investors. No. No, no, I've known Gris for almost 20 years. He would not jeopardize an operation like that. Yeah, well, you better listen to this. If I'm gonna invest two and a half million, I need to know why the airlines are gonna take. They're gonna lose a couple planes each next week. Big planes? Little planes? Two big ones. What else can you tell me? Are there other opportunities? You might want to see who underwrites the World Trade Center. That son of a bitch. He betrayed me and his country. Terminate him. You want him fired? 
kill that backstabbing mother of Love to. I was impressed at how much of the research material you were able to incorporate in the narrative and keep it interesting because it's such a, a complicated, very complicated set of events. Yeah, there is a lot of information in the movie. Um, I know people that have done a lot of research on 9-11, and uh, I was talking to one guy. He says, I've watched the movie five times now, and I'm still coming up with new information that I, that I didn't get on the first four uh, viewings. Um, so there there is a lot of information there. Of course, for people that, that have not done research on 9-11, it, it's just you know interesting information, but it... Uh, they're not going to connect the dots on it the first time they watch it. But uh, but after they watch it, they go and research it a little bit and find out those things really happen. And then they can pick up more and more things as they uh, continue watching it. Oh, yes. I found that to be true. I, I picked up on a lot more the, the second time I saw it. There's a lot in this film. I'm speaking with filmmaker and politician Art Olivier. Today's show, Operation Terror. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. I found the mixing of fact and fiction in the film very well done. So much of the film is based on fact, but then, of course, it was necessary to speculate to fill in the blanks. What would you estimate was the percentage of fact to fiction in the film? Yeah, the, uh, the fiction part is, is just a way to connect the factual parts of the movie. <laughs> uh, of course, the, the characters that are from the CIA... Uh, these are all fictional characters. Um, but then again, like I said, much of the movie is written by uh, some of the people that participated in the events, like like Norma Mineta wrote quite a bit of it. Uh, much of the dialogue from James McCullough was uh, written by um, the Project for a New American Century uh, when, they, um, when they talked about uh, creating a new... Uh, Pearl Harbor and, and those those things. So a lot of that dialogue was written by them. Um, much of the information that Dick Cheney, you know, when he says, is 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 from interviews of Dick Cheney. And then uh, a lot of the, um, of course, all the operations that we talk about uh, that were going on in 9/11. Those were actual actual events. So uh, I would say the majority of the movie is 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 based on. On, uh, on fact. Mr. Vice President, the plane's 10 miles out. Do the orders still stand? Of course the orders still stand. Have you heard anything to the contrary? No, sir. This is Norman Mineta. Put Martin Belger on the phone. Sir, Secretary of Transportation's line one. Yes, sir. Monty, what if you're on radar on this plane coming? Well, we have a target, we have a bogey, but the transponder's been turned off, so I don't have very much identification on the aircraft. So I don't, I don't know who it is, I don't know what altitude it's at, and I don't know what the speed is. I don't know anything. The only thing we're doing is watching the sweep of the radar and seeing the dot move from position to position. Well, where is it? Somewhere outside of Great Falls right now. Monty, where is this plane in relationship to the ground? But I can tell you it's coming in low and fast. Uh-oh. I've lost the target. I've lost the bogey. Where is it? It's somewhere between 
Roslyn and National Airport. Mr. Vice President, there's been an explosion at the Pentagon. Mr. Vice President, we just got confirmation from an Arlington County police officer saying he saw an American airline go right into the Pentagon. Monty, bring all the airplanes down. Any planes coming into the eastern seaboard, turn them around and get them out of the eastern seaboard, heading west. Any planes heading west, have them go on to their destination if they're close by. But in any case, bring all the airplanes down. Bring all the planes down. Uh, we should give the pilot some discretion. To hell with pilot discretion. Get those goddamn planes down now. Yes, and that's interesting how you took their own words from their writings and testimony and used that as the actual dialogue in the movie. Yeah, it made it a lot easier as a screenwriter to use the actual dialogue of the people that were involved in 9-11. And then, of course, it makes it, it more um, based on reality, too, by using their actual words. And another thing that we did is with all the news reports that came in on 9-11, there we didn't change any of their dialogue. We used it word for word exactly as it was shown on TV. Of course, we had to use our actors and our special effects uh, in the movie because we're not allowed to use uh, their information. And then we come up with a better better quality too by using our own actors and our own, uh, our own backgrounds. Oh, I see. So you couldn't use the real uh, television footage, for instance, from the BBC on Building 7. You, you, you couldn't use that, right? So you reenacted it? That, that is correct. Yeah, that's copyright uh, information. You can use it in a documentary, but not in a feature film. Oh, I see. That, that explains it. An essential element in the film is who has the real power. In the film, it looked like you used the Council on Foreign Relations and the Project for the New American Century to represent those pulling the strings, as well as bankers and oil executives. Is this an accurate characterization of the movie? Correct, yeah, we, we, we do, as we call it, the Council on Foreign Affairs. And, and it's basically a, a mixture of, of the Council on Foreign Relations and the Project for a New American Century. Um, and we molded that into one group to keep it simpler for the movie. But that's, that's the real power behind uh, what goes on in America. And we have that one scene where the head of the council is meeting with the vice president, and then um, he dismisses him and, and uh, you know, tells him to just go back to work. And, and he just says, so sometimes you have to remind politicians who it is that they work for. Well, that's right. What, in your opinion, was the decisive factor in the decision in the real world to launch an attack on Afghanistan? Well, Afghanistan, um, UNICAL was trying to get a contract to run a pipeline through the western part of Afghanistan from the Caspian Sea to the Indian Ocean. The um, administration, the Clinton administration, was giving the Taliban hundreds of millions of dollars to influence their decision. Uh, the Bush administration also followed suit. And then the Taliban ended up giving the contract to uh, Bredis, which is an Argentine company. Um, of course, Unical was not real happy about that. One of the executives from Unical was 
Harmy Karzai. So after the invasion, um, this person that was working for UNICAL ends up becoming the president of, uh, of Afghanistan. Exactly. And what, again, was the name of the company that had originally got the contract for the pipeline? Bredis, the Argentine company that had uh, received it. The scene at the Cleveland airport includes a crumpled Cleveland Herald newspaper blowing away in the wind with the headline, Department of Defense Cannot Track $2.8 trillion in Transactions. I thought that was a very nice touch. I had to pause the DVD and really look at that headline because I could see this newspaper floating and I thought, oh, you know, I know this is significant. I want to see what that newspaper says. But that was quite good. Did you come up with that? Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I produced the uh, the newspaper. I'm really surprised that, that you caught that because it usually takes about a half a dozen times to watch the movie to say, hey, what's on that newspaper? <laughs> because it just kind of blows in the wind. You don't really see it yet. You have to, you have to pause it. But because on September... 10th, that's when Donald Rumsfeld uh, went on TV and it was reported in some newspapers that the Pentagon was missing um, trillions of dollars that they couldn't account for. Has your experience as a politician in general, has uh, that experience of yours had much of an influence on your writing the script and deciding to produce Operation Terror? Yeah, being in politics, you find out that um, what politicians do is, is typically for their own best interest. And you also find out that the media is corrupt. Uh, I've had several stories that were written uh, when I was the mayor of, of Bellflower that uh, were completely false. The Quite often, the person that uh, had interviewed me uh, came over and apologized. When the paper came out, they say, Art, I'm really sorry about, about that article. It's, it's not the way that I wrote it. My publisher took it and he turned it all around and he changed everything. Uh, and of course, publishers don't typically um, do editing, but on political pieces that they do because you know they can be bought off by the, uh, the other politicians and, uh, and change things around. So, so I knew that the media wasn't real. And and so yeah, that helps my understanding about about the events on nine eleven. I see. So you'd had a lot of experience as a politician with a you know with fake media coverage and lies and corruption, etc. Correct. Yeah. What is your view of the war on terror in general, and how anyone or anybody can be demonized in this war without end? The, the war on terror is ridiculous because it's, it is a war on a tactic. So tactic never ends. They could have a war on terror for a thousand years. And um, what that does is it, uh, yeah, it eliminates a lot of our civil liberties. Um, we're, of course, required now to go through these terrible uh, searches at the airports uh, TSA is expanding. They've already bought oh, over 400 million hollow point rounds. Uh, TSA, of course, is um, is not out fighting wars against other countries. These are these rounds are meant for Americans, and and so we've really really losing our uh, our civil liberties because of the war on terror. Well, before we get off the phone, Art, could you go into a little bit more of detail? with regard to the actual real-life 
uh, identification of the passengers on the four planes, uh, American and United flights 11, 175, 93, and 77. Let's listen to another clip from the film. Hey, George, fancy meeting you here. I take it you're going to the meeting in El Segundo? (laughs) Seems like a a lot of money to send us all there. I can tell you this, there's going to be a lot of finger pointing over those time charges. Hey, Harvey. Well, this is strange. Almost everyone who worked on the project is on this plane. Testers, software developers, auditors. Back there I saw the propulsion engineers. As you and I, Horace. That's a coincidence. Well, I don't believe in coincidences. Ladies and gentlemen, we are about to pull back from the gate, so we need everyone to please be seated and make sure that your seatbelt is securely fastened. I am required to inform you that due to an ongoing emergency in New York, we'll be making an unscheduled stop in Cleveland. Cleveland? You mentioned when we first uh, sat down to talk a little bit of the background of some of these people, but it's it's quite astonishing the occupations of all of these passengers. Yes, it is. They were very high technical people. Um, one of them was uh, passengers that uh, that was on the planes was a a physical chemist physical chemist at the naval weapons stations in Maryland. And this is a place that could have developed the nanothermite that was found in a lot of the World Trade Center dust. Typically, when you're on an airplane full of passengers, you might have one person with the kind of technical capability that uh, so many of these, you know, dozens of passengers had uh, that were on 9-11. So it's, it's quite astonishing that, that you would have that high people on those airplanes. Art Olivier, thank you very much. Well, thank you, Bonnie, and I hope all your listeners can go to OperationTerror.com and watch the trailer. I've been speaking with Art Olivier. Today's show has been Operation Terror. Art Olivier is a filmmaker and former politician. He worked for 20 years as an engineer in the aerospace industry in Southern California for both McDonnell Douglas and Boeing. After leaving the Boeing company in 2000, Art hosted and produced The Political Money Trail, a local cable television show. The show helped him get elected to the Bellflower California City Council in 1994. He did not run for re-election in 1999 after becoming the mayor of Bellflower in 1998. Instead, he sought and received the nomination for vice president in the Libertarian Party in 2000 and ran against Dick Cheney in the general election. Art was also Arnold Schwarzenegger's libertarian opponent for governor in 2006. Olivier was able to combine his experience in both the aerospace industry and the political realm to create this fact-based political thriller, Operation Terror. Visit his website at www.operationterror.com. That's operationterror.com. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako.
To leave comments or order copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.org. That's G-U-N-S-A-N-D-B-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. 